Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Meha Agrawal, who is the founder and CEO at Silk & Sonder, which is a mental wellness and self-care startup. She's also a former software engineer and product manager for Goldman Sachs, Stitch Fix, The Muse, and Field. And Silk & Sonder is on a mission to make self-care and mental wellness for modern women more accessible, actionable, and personalized. And in this episode, we talk about how that all got started, how she decided to also take the leap into entrepreneurship full-time. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show. Leave a rating review over an Apple podcast. I would very much so appreciate that. And my weekly newsletter, The Weekly Grind, comes out every Friday with tips, tools, and strategies for growing a business. Can be found at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Without further ado, here is Meha Agrawal, founder and CEO at Silk and Sonder. Meha, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. With your company, with Silk and Sonder, I want to talk about that obviously first. What is it just to have people start with? Sure. It's a self-care and mental wellness experience for modern women rooted in personalization, community, and data. So we uh, currently have our first product, which is a guided monthly planner and journal subscription service where customers receive a physical product to their doorstep. It's a bit of a surprise, a bit of familiarity every month, and they also get access to our exclusive community of uh, members um, through Sonder Club. So we are, we're hopefully helping them with their daily and proactive self-care needs from the comfort of their home. That's awesome. And how did this come about? How did this start in the first place? Yeah, you know, it was it was part a personal journey and, and kind of part experimentation. I happened to have been a software engineer and product manager in my previous life, and I found myself every couple of years hitting a rut. Um, you know, sometimes it was due to career, sometimes it was due to personal stuff, relationships, et cetera. And in my mid-20s, I had a bit of a more dramatic rut uh, where everything felt like it was crumbling down. And I come from a South Asian background, uh, and my family in particular doesn't really talk about the mental or emotional health. And so I was really looking for solutions to help deal with my anxiety, stress, and burnout. And uh, I turned to pen to paper because meditation wasn't working for me. My friends stopped picking up my calls because I was this broken record. Um, and I noticed this magical shift to my emotional health when I created a guide for myself um, based on the books that I was reading on self-help, personal development, and positive psychology. And so I wanted to bring that to the masses. And I decided to just uh, curate a intentional journal meets a productivity planner, but always rooted in uh, customer feedback. So we started to take feedback from customers and iterate over time. And then before you knew it, we had customers in all 50 states. That's amazing. And one of the things I always wonder about is with someone who solves their own problem, they have a, they have a need, they have this issue, they solve it. What makes you want to help the masses? Because everyone, everyone doesn't do that. Everyone doesn't take their own issue that they've solved and then put that into an actual business. What made you want to do that exactly? You know, I think it was really because I was so reluctant uh, and skeptical with this whole power of pen to paper nonsense, right? I think we live in a society where we're inundated, 
in an inundated with email. And I, I think uh, just the notifications and, and starting to realize that in order to be more present at work in our social settings, in our volunteer work, it's important for you to disconnect and write things down and that it's okay to process your thoughts um, in isolation sometimes uh, was really a helpful learning for me. And if I wasn't realizing that in my, until my mid twenties and, you know, people like my mom weren't realizing that in, in the fifties, I imagine that everybody else is a skeptic just like me. And, you know, while I did go off to set, you know, solve this problem for folks like myself, what I found was that the types of women that really gravitated towards our product were of different backgrounds, of different lifestyles, of different values and religious beliefs. And I think that's really when I um, noticed that while I was trying to solve the problem for women like myself, there's a bigger problem and it, 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 it requires this deep understanding that people don't fit into boxes um, and that we can create a product that everybody can use that's not prescriptive, but just guided and people can use it in different ways, shapes and forms. So I think it came out of this um, frustration with myself and being such a critic of, um, you know, slowing down and journaling and uh, dear diary kind of uh, skepticism. I wanted to change that conversation entirely. Yeah. And with that then too, like with the product itself, how did you go about developing this? Because I've seen a lot of different uh, journals, a lot of different products like that out there. And I am a pretty big journaler and I, I do write awesome. out kind of all my things. I use the uh, one line a day journal. Um, yeah. But I, I always wonder like, how do you actually decide to like, make that? How did you like, put, t- put it together per se? Yeah, so I think I think what was missing was that a lot of these uh, there's there's obviously the the notebooks, the dear diaries, um, the the kind of blank empty canvases, which are great for uh, creative execution if you know where to start, and then you've got the overly prescriptive versions where you have to create a map of your life in a very particular way. And so what I thought was interesting and a, and a good opportunity for us, uh, given what I had learned from my days at Stitch Fix, um, which is a personal styling business driven by data, um, I really wanted to put something on a monthly cadence because I wanted to get feedback from customers on what's working and what's not. And so I pieced together uh, using inspiration that I had handy at my fingertips. So uh, research that I was doing on positive psychology by just Googling um, the books that I was reading from awesome authors around productivity and focus and more action oriented stuff. And I really wanted to create this blend of intention, reflection and action so that customers felt like they were inspired when they got the product, but they were also noticing a magical shift in their emotional health as well as in their ability to execute and take action from what what they're um, guided to do. So our product is really, it's it's uh, it's a monthly planner and journal, which you don't even know what the cover nor the content nor the aesthetics are going to look like. You just trust us as a brand to bring you a fun little gift to yourself in the mail. And every month we focus on a particular theme, which is where our guided prompts are derived from. And then we also have mood tracking, habit tracking, meal tracking, and a lot of the things that um, historically people have had to create for themselves in their moleskins or blank notebooks that we kind of do the work for you. Yeah. And talking about that customer feedback and using that data, like how how do you go through that process and how do you also you know, lowering that data, how do you know then which things to act on, which things to ignore? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think in the early days, since we're aggregating feedback uh, as a whole, I think it's um, important for us to to look at our top customers, the ones that keep coming back month over month, and and recognizing what what they need most or what they they miss most. And so it's as simple as sending a survey, but more importantly, it's as uh, important as talking to your customers. So in the early days. I talk to a ton of my customers, asking them what's working, what's not, really getting an understanding of how to get to product market fit more quickly and also realizing that I am not the power user. There's a subset of my customers that are the power users. And so removing what I felt like I needed versus what they needed. Um, and I think uh, I think it's just, it's just that constant direct uh, feedback loop that you want um, and the way to really decide what's a must-have versus a nice-to-have is looking at that feedback holistically and seeing what patterns you can deduce just like you would do for a digital product. Yeah, and then getting getting this business too off the ground after you had this idea, I mean, what did those first few months, besides like talking to customers itself, like how, one, I'm wondering, I guess, like how long that actually took to get a product out there to market? Yeah. That'd be the first thing I guess yeah. I would want to know. Yeah, so um, it's a great question. Actually, my first fake business side project, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> um, I had done everything that a lot of first-time founders do, which is create a pitch deck, a business plan. Um, you know, think of the shiny object and destination that I wanted to get to. And what I did with Silk and Sandra that was different was I gave myself a two-week time frame where I was taking a hiatus from my other idea and really just seeing if I could get a product uh, out there to market and, and get $1 from it. That was my goal. And what I did was I literally used, a friend of mine helped me with the designs, and then I literally used a regular printer, printed it out, talked to a couple, a couple of friends and friends of friends uh, to see if, if they liked it, what they didn't, and then went back, designed it, found a printing press, didn't worry so much about cost because obviously printing 20 copies uh, from a digital printing press is, is very different than an offset one. And so um, I had no idea what a printing press was. I literally <laughs> was just looking for anything that could print something slightly better than the printer. Um, and then decided to code up a website because Shopify felt too intimidating um, to navigate <laughs> to see if we could get our first order. So um, all in all, I would say our first order from a friend was within two weeks. And then by the second day, we had friends of friends and then kind of this trickle effect that went off from there and lo and behold we have definitely migrated over to shopify since so fear not yeah i was, gonna, I was gonna say i was like much, <laughs> much better under control yeah i figured that was the, ne the next step and actually uh many people don't really know what shopify is but it helps power websites e-commerce sites it's like behind i think it's the second second biggest e-commerce site now it just passed ebay um which is absurd to yeah. think of how, how big they are now um but powering so many different businesses because they do make it relatively easy but you do need a little bit of experience but uh you can definitely make a store pretty quickly actually with shopify and and one thing i'm wondering too yeah. with those early days like how then you mentioned a friend bought kind of the first ones but how did you get done those other those next customers those next you know 50 100 whatever customers after that yeah so um i think obviously most people start with their friends and their professional and personal networks um we I essentially saw an uptick when that reached, um, you know, 
a few folks who happen to also have blogs. And so they would write about how they use their silk and sonder. And that's really when the magic happened because customers were sharing how they use their silk and saunders and they were reaching audiences beyond their local communities, um, given that they're bloggers and things like that. Uh, so yeah, I, I say, I, I tell this to every founder or entrepreneur that um, don't worry so much to hit the masses right off the gate. I think what you wanna do is work with what you have. So I didn't know anything about printing presses. So I literally went on Yelp and, and tried to find a printing press that was near me at the time. And I asked the naive questions and you know figured out how many I would need to break even and, and things like that. And then the next thing I did was ask my friends if they knew anybody who would enjoy something like this where it's bringing a bit of self-care in a therapeutic form through pen and paper. And uh, you'd be surprised how many people want to help you and spread the word um, with folks that you wouldn't necessarily have direct access to. Yeah. And then on that kind of similar, similar vein there, is it just you in the business? Are you other people with you? Like what's the team look like? Yeah, so um, I, I'm the only founder. Um, I did have uh, a friend help me in the early days, but he had to commit to his family business, so he never came on as a co-founder. But um, I have folks that help me with the design. I have folks that help me with um, customer care. That's really important to us. And then we are also bringing on um, folks for marketing and operations and fulfillment. So uh, yeah, I definitely have a, a few helping hands. Couldn't do it myself. Yeah. And with that too, then how have you found these people and how have you kind of vetted them to make sure they're the right fit, I guess, for, yeah. for helping you out? Yeah. So it's funny because as a software engineer, some companies do this and some companies don't, but um, I used to get these take-home projects and my take-home project at Stitch Fix in particular is, is one that I remember dearly because um, they would ask a question or multiple questions on, on, you know, creating enhancements to whatever code that they send your way. And what I loved about that take home project was that even though it took time to review and it took time for candidates to complete, it really helps with conversion rates, right? Because you get a sense of what your job is going to look like uh, in reality. And so what I have anyone that I am actively interviewing do, I do a quick intro call and I, and I find these people through my networks. Um, I'm a member of the wing. I'm a member of dreamers and doers. I obviously have used Upwork from, from time to time. Um, I work with what I have based on the need that I, that I need to solve for. And I always ask questions that are related to the person and their thought process and, and something more authentic regardless of what the job is. And then I also send them a more tangible and tactical assessment um, based on what their specific role might be. And then once I hire them, I also give them the opportunity to explore different things to see how we can double down on their strengths and interests. I really believe in uh, finding people who are just generalists and curious and are willing to adapt with the business. And um, the promise that I make is that we'll figure out what makes you shine and we should we should leverage your strengths as opposed to always build upon your weaknesses. Yeah, and with the team too, then how, how do you decide what to delegate, when to delegate, when to bring people on? Is that, that's such a big challenge for yeah. any, any business owner, any entrepreneur, like when, like, what uh, do you yeah. delegate? How do you decide that? Yeah, it's so funny because I think when I decided to go full-time on Silk and Sonder, I thought my life would be super glamorous and it's the exact opposite. <laughs> I think that's because, you know, whether you've hired or you haven't hired, you're constantly context switching and you're doing things that you're 
you're good at, but you don't enjoy or that you do enjoy, but you're not good at. And it's, it's very uh, stressful to figure out what to delegate. Um, the name of the book is escaping me, but I read this book that was, uh, that had a model that was very similar to the Eisenhower matrix, uh, where you track your skills based on proficiency on one axis and, and passion on the other. And so I sat down, I created that matrix for myself. And the irony was it was really hard to figure out what am I both passionate about and proficient at. Um, but finally, <laughs> when you're able to paint that picture, you, you become honest with yourself on what needs to be delegated and the other three quadrants you know, things that you have low, low proficiency, low passion, high proficiency, low passion, et cetera. You want to, um, you want to find people to, to do that. So I wouldn't say I have completely solved that, uh, but <laughs> I am working to hire based off of that matrix for myself. Yeah. And it's such a, it's such a tricky thing, right. To figure that, to figure that out and to really decide yeah. um, if I should, and is it too early, too late, whatever it's such, it's so difficult to do, but um, obviously very important. Yeah. And, and with the two, you've mentioned going full-time into it now, how did you get to that point and decide that, okay, I'm going to go full-time into Silk and Sonder? Yeah. Um, so the nights and weekends project, we uh, essentially reached over a thousand monthly active subscribers across all 50 states. And I, I vividly remember, um, you know, I was in New York at the time and I used to go to USPS with one suitcase uh, and then I, of, of orders to fulfill. And then it slowly became multiple hotel, you know, those uh, dollies that some of those yep. buildings have. I would have to take those to USPS multiple blocks away and, and, and several times, and I started to realize that demand was high. And um, I, I started to notice that there were all these customers in, in cities and towns I'd never heard of. And, and I think that's really what struck me as exciting. And I wanted to deliver this promise on um, personalizing and building out community, which I wasn't able to do when it was a nights and weekends project. And so I would say my customers uh, threw me over the edge because um, just seeing the impact we've been able to have with our one and only product um, really gives me a lot of confidence in the entire brand and ecosystem that we want to build for daily and proactive self-care. Yeah. And then going full-time then, so that switch going from, you know, working uh, as a side hustle more so than going full-time into it. How was, how was there those first few weeks of going full-time? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. It's funny because I, I had an offer from Bonobos at the time and um, I remember sitting with my boyfriend in Tulum, Mexico, and and he kind of just told me, he's like, look, you have been talking about being full-time on Silk and Sandra since the early days, and this might be your chance. And I realized in that moment that, especially being an immigrant's daughter, I think we had spent our lives and continue to spend our lives building safety nets. And um, it comes from a great place. But I think what you forget is that when you go out and embark on your own venture, you actually create this safety net um, that's even bigger and better than what you would have had just being full-time at your desk job. And when I went back to Bonobos and told them that I wanted to really focus on uh, Silk and Sonder, they essentially told me that I could, I could, if things didn't work out, I could come back and that the job would be there for me. And that conversation is really what gave me that freedom and confidence that I might not have had if I had just quit, you know, my job without, um, without a plan. Um, because that safety net was there. And while I don't recommend that everybody needs that, I think, <laughs> I think it's just the trust you should have in the skill set that you'll, you'll 
build in starting your own business. And the beauty of it now is that I can't even imagine going back to any other role. Like this is what I want to do. So the anxiety was there. There were definitely a lot of conversations with folks, but I think what I've been lucky enough to experience is I do have founder friends and, and I think the best decision they've ever made has been doing their business. And I knew that I, I would feel that eventually. Yeah. And it's such a, obviously a huge jump to do it. Um, I remember talking to one of my, one of my best friends and he was waiting till revenue hit a certain, a certain number until he quit. But then he also hit the number. It was like, I'm still going to wait a few months. (laughs) It was like a delay, delay, delay until finally it's like, I'm just going to do it and see what happens. Because the real, yeah. realistically, you can always go back to something else, right? Like, like it's not as 100%. much of a leap as you think, um, which which is which is tough. But yeah, you can easily do that. But then, um, as you've gone grown this business so far, what have been kind of those most challenging aspects of it? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think it's really hard to fundraise and grow your business at the same time, especially if you're a solo founder. So that's been exhausting, um, and I think. I think you, uh, you know, you can slip into moments of self-doubt. I think the sacrifices that I've had to make in my social life and less so because I need to, but more so because I want to um, in this period of of building my business, I think uh, occasionally just, just knowing that I haven't been the best of a friend, you know, to others because I'm so focused on my customers and my product. I think those, those fleeting moments have been hard to balance everything. Um, and then, of course, there were times where money, especially living in San Francisco, I, I'm you know in the midst of fundraising, and just because someone wires me some money doesn't mean that I pay myself immediately. And so, um, kind of getting creative in how you spend your personal expenses if you're not somebody to resort to the hoodie and ramen lifestyle, which I'm not. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> um, I think I think just being really honest with yourself in what kind of environment makes you thrive and um, and being okay with that. And then thinking of creative ways. I think in the early days, I had to take on a few consulting projects because my checking account was quickly depleting and that gave me anxiety. So I recognized that. And then I realized, holy crap, it's really hard to have multiple businesses, including the ones that you are consulting for. And so I, I quickly scrapped that idea out. Um, so I think just, I think there's, there's a ton of moments where you feel like, what the hell am I doing? And I think just getting aligned and trusting the process and really thinking about why are you fundraising? What is that money going to be used for? And having a plan, even if that, even if you need to deviate from it from time to time, um, is super important because in the day-to-day short term is kind of all over the place. And so you have to be really clear on your long term. Yeah. And with the fundraising aspect of it too, like how are you kind of thinking through that planning and approaching this process of fundraising now? Yeah. So I think, um, I think there's a lot of questions around like, when is the right time to fundraise? Why do you fundraise, et cetera. And I think for me, it's been for all intents and purposes, I've been a one woman show. And so if I really want to build the go-to mental wellness brand, you've got to bring stellar talent. You've got to hire a rock star team. You've got to motivate them. So that's, that's been really um, important. And then also delivering on that mass personalization piece is what really drove me to want to fundraise. Um, In terms of how that process is going, it is sometimes very exciting and energizing, believe it or not, Uh, the types of folks that you get to meet. I I think I've, you know, I've even sent cold called emails to people that have converted into um, investments for us. And I think 
I think just doing fundraising the way that makes you thrive um, is really, really important. And, um, and, and making sure that you have time to uh, unwind from fundraising because it is such a demoralizing process. Even the, we really like you, but uh, maybe not now, maybe later answers are the worst. Um, <laughs> and I never approached, uh, I never approached dating or job interviews like a numbers game. And so I was really frustrated when, um, founders and investors always told me that it's a numbers game, it's a numbers game, it's a numbers game. And so I've been very, very thoughtful in who I'm talking to and who I'm pitching to because I really see investors as thought partners. I don't just see them as capital providers. Um, while that's really important, it's not the only reason I'm fundraising. And so, um, yeah, I think I think it's, it's a very hard defeating process and you doubt yourself all the time. And so what I've done to kind of get over those humps is really just go back to my users because it helps me reconnect with my why and, and makes the journey worth it. Yeah. And you mentioned there too, like making sure that they're the right fit, being very intentional with, with the investors. Like what are some of those either questions you're asking or, or, or values you're hoping for from them? Like what maybe are some of those things? Yeah, I think um, I think I am very authentic about where I am in the fundraising process, what I need, what I don't. And so um, I really like to ask investors first to share their story because it helps me figure out, do they bring something to the table? Are they founder aligned? Um, almost all my investors are former founders or operators in some capacity. And so they really understand what it's like to build a business from scratch and where the hurdles might be. And so um, that's been super important to me um, in assessments. And then the other is um, we have early employees at, at top name companies who've invested in us. And I think what that gives me access to is is in the early days knowing that if I'm doing things that don't scale, it's a good sign and, and there's ways that we can optimize all these processes later on without over-engineering in the early days. So I think everyone brings something unique and different, but I try to go after former founders and operators, at least at this stage, so that they can help me get me to a position for you know, further institutional funding later down the road if we need. Yeah, that. exactly. And and one thing is you kind of mentioned too is a couple of different uh, groups you're involved with, like Dreamers and Doers, for instance. How is how is those how have those different groups been been helpful for you? And how do you approach like which ones you even join in the first place? Yeah, so I think um, you know personally for me, I love joining founder groups, and I love I love having access to. Um, women doing incredible things. And so um, Dreamers and Doers, I actually met Geisha pretty early on in my career when I was working on a different business idea. I think that's been hands down one of the best groups that I'm a part of. Um, in fact, I was a part of it before they even charged for it, but I happily am a <laughs> paid subscriber. Um, I, I just love I just love the access that I get to press opportunities, to, to potential hires, to um, other founders, other investors. Like that community is so solid and has this underlying notion of helping others and help and and really if you help somebody else succeed that's not taking away from your success it's actually making you even more successful and so like the give and take in that is so organic and awesome um i i really also love the the wing because the wing gives me access to space to uh invite others to uh, for meetings but also to meet others and they just launched a job portal where i'm able to hire um 
some of my folks from. And then I'm also part of Tory Birch Fellowship um, and All Rays, which are again very female founder heavy. Um, and then and then in general, I think I, I try to keep um, both my entrepreneurial network in SF as well as New York in place because there is nothing like having a support group of founders who are in the trenches with you. Sometimes they're fundraising, sometimes they're building their business, sometimes they're dealing with angry customers, whatever it might be. There's always something to learn and there's always something to share. And I try to be very conscious of being involved in, in both the female founder side of things as well as general founder side of things, because that willingness to help each other, having been through uh, hell and back is, is always yeah. there. And w- one thing too that I'm just looking back at um, what you've kind of done so far in your career, I'm, I'm curious as to how working at companies, bigger companies like Goldman Sachs, The Muse, Stitch Fix, like how have these companies influenced you as an entrepreneur today? Yeah. Um, so I've been lucky. I actually think that the one thing that Goldman, The Muse, Stitch Fix, and Field all had in common was that they have incredible company culture. And I know it looks differently from the outside looking in, but <laughs> Goldman, um, I thought that the types of folks that they hire and the authenticity that's in the room is just is really awesome. And so um, I have always known that I wanted to build a business that has elements of culture that I've learned in each of those experiences and and surpass that. Um, so that's something that that has influenced my decision and how I want to build my team and company. Um, Goldman made me realize very early on that it's so important to work at a company where you can identify with your users. And quite frankly, sales and trading, while I love them as people, it was just not um, not a demographic that I particularly could relate to. And so building tools to help enhance their productivity was, um, was not something I necessarily enjoyed. And, and I realized that pretty quickly and that's what led me to the muse. And then at the muse, I was the third engineer and eighth employee. And so I really had a chance to see what it's like to build a company from scratch. And at the time, the muse was really targeting professional young women who were folks that I could relate to. And then I joined Stitch Fix and I experienced what a hyper growth company looked like and what a profitable business looked like. And I started to piece together all these amazing experiences in developing my own roadmap for Silicon Sonder and the type of business and impact I wanted to have in the world. Um, and I think if I hadn't experienced an early stage startup, a hyper growth startup, a big, large corporation, and then even an agency model, I I feel like I, I would have been very green in a lot of areas that I, I think I now have um, experience in and can make more sound decisions from. Yeah, and I imagine that too, like building building a network or having connections through companies like that has got to be helpful in some capacity as well. Yeah, I think definitely in, in some capacity. I mean, I I think I thought it would be easier to fundraise from, from that network. I, I can't say that it has <laughs> been. <laughs> Um, but I do think that um, I do think that my access to folks in that are just brilliant and smart is is a lot higher than other people might have access to, and so I'm very very grateful. Yeah, and then that. with your company too, like moving forward, I mean, what are some of the kind of like like next steps or things you're thinking about with taking the company to the next level? Obviously, fundraising, but anything else in particular? 
Yeah, we absolutely want to accelerate growth um, of our current product. And we're thinking about community in an interesting lens. So we feel that that's entirely missing from the mental wellness ecosystem. And we hope to be a leader in that space. That's exciting. And and then one thing I'm wondering too is with other people trying to launch and grow a business, as you've gone through this process and so relatively like new in this company at least, like what would you tell someone who wants to launch a business? What are some things they should think about before launching? Yeah, you know, I would actually recommend don't think, just do. So if you are in a nine to five job or if you're even, you know, in a <laughs> nine to nine job, if, if there's an entrepreneurial bug inside of you, start small, start with something, build a newsletter list, uh, launch a website, talk to users, do anything you can to kind of validate your idea and your vision before you start. That's all I would recommend. I really think that the business plan, the deck, all of that's going to change, the model, all of that's going to change. And the moment you spend more time with the planning rather than the researching directly with your users or, or building that list, the more time you, you spend planning, you're going to come up with a million reasons why your company is not going to work. And so my advice to anyone who's thinking about launching a business or a brand or even a community is just start. You're going to learn right away. Um, and then I think in terms of actually making the jump, honestly, it really, it's really different from, from person to person. I think there's a lot of folks who recommend that you just go for it and put all your eggs in one basket. You have to be really aware of what gives you anxiety. For me, if I had started this business with zero customers and been full time on it, I would have been really anxious. I would have been just looking at my checking account depleting. I would have had nowhere to go. I wouldn't have known how to fundraise. I think really knowing what is your risk tolerance and being honest with yourself on that is what's going to allow you to be a better founder. And um, for you, that might mean, you know, fundraising while you're working, or it might mean no funding and getting a ton of customers uh, as a side project and then going over the edge. Or you might have that risk tolerance of being able to just jump ship before you even have an idea. Whatever it is, just be honest with yourself. And, and yeah, I love it. that. And and Mayha, what I'm wondering with with your business now as well, how are you spending your time day to day, like week to week in your business? Yeah. Yeah, I wish I had a magic <laughs> formula for that one. The irony is that we have, the irony is that we were supposed to help you with productivity and, and all of that. But um, I, what I try to do, I, I learned this from a friend of mine who um, who has a family business and has has been kind of in the entrepreneurial space for a while. Um, she recommended that you pick you pick a top priority. So there's different things of the business, right? Partnerships user experience, product, um, engineering, whatever it is. In the early days as a founder, whether you like it or not, until you hire for all of it, you're doing everything. Um, and so kind of picking the theme on like, what is, what's your true north? Is If it's to grow number of monthly active subscribers, great. What is the sub um, you know, category that you can focus your time on today and then do everything, pick your top five goals for that specific category? Um, and that way you're doing less context switching. So while you might be doing everything across the gamut, you're still picking one for each day. Um, I also try to stack right now, like there's a ton of meetings and meetings can be great, but they're also, um, exhausting. And so I try to keep, um, a block of time where I allow my meetings to be scheduled. And then I keep a block of time for heads down work. And for me, I know what my tipping point is. I know in the mornings I'm, you know, I'm not the most alert. So I know what those hours should look like. And so I try to prioritize based off of that. Um, 
but yeah, I think I think it's really just picking, you know, what is the one thing I can do today such that by doing it, everything else becomes easier or unnecessary and like really thinking about that first domino effect. And I, I fail miserably all the time on this, but if I could plan it that way, that's what I would do. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all just trying here, Mayha. We're trying to do our best, you know? Um, <laughs> exactly. With, yeah, and with your company, with, obviously with the product that you have itself, like how are you... How are you using like the product, or how do you journal yeah. and write these things down? I'm just right with you personally. How do you do it? Yeah, so I, unlike my customers, a lot of our customers aren't avid journalers. So I actually use a blank notebook to journal every morning, and then I sit down with my Silk and Sonder um, and plan out my day. Um, and so Silk and Sonder has a couple different elements. When I have some downtime on the weekends, usually on Sundays, I answer some of the prompts that we have put in in uh, the issues because it only requires you know five to ten minutes um every few days and then i use i look at what i have on my google calendar and i schedule kind of the meetings on my planner side of things and then i put top five things that i need to follow up on or tasks um and then that serves as my log also to see what went well last week what didn't get completed so that i can put it in the next um, calendar layout so we have you know, we have a couple different layouts that I use very consistently. And amongst that is our weekly intentions page where I track what I'm eating. I track uh, the habits that I want to complete for that week. And then also think about what do I want to feel and like, what are the three things that I need to accomplish this week to feel fulfilled? Um, and then that gives me that priority basis so that I can pick my one thing for each each day. Love it. And I'm always so curious about those things. Every entrepreneur has their own kind of strategies for that. And you kind of yeah. can pick and choose as you hear about different things. Like, oh, yeah. I'm going to incorporate this part. And like you create your own system eventually, which is what I've kind of done, yeah. which evolves day to day, week to week. But um, it's slowly growing into something that has worked worked for me at least. Um, yeah. And then, and with it too then, so with that being such a big part that your business itself is basically self-care. So how do you recharge then outside of work, I guess, then? Yeah. So I am very well aware of what my personal core values are. And amongst that are family, adventure, uh, multifacetedness, if that's even we'll say a word. Um, and what I try to do every... <laughs> um, and what I try to do is attach an action to each of those 10 core values. And, and what I do is I actually spend the weekend trying to fulfill that. So for example... It might be as simple as call mom and dad or FaceTime with mom and dad this weekend would be how I how I uh, honor my family value. Um, adventure might be going on a hike or spending time in nature or going to a new restaurant. It, it changes week to week. Um, but that is really how I recharge. And and part of recharging and, and being you know, curious and thinking outside of the box. Sometimes it's related to work and sometimes it's really disconnecting from work for an hour or two hours or even a whole day so that you have time to think about other things and get inspired by other things so that you can bring it back um, to your business. Yeah, and one thing too that you touched on a little bit earlier I want to come back to, with, with being an entrepreneur, is it what you expected it to be? <laughs> Um, that's a good question. Check back in a couple <laughs> years. No, um, I think, I think, uh, it's a lot harder than I expected. I thought that, you know, certain things would be easier. Um, I think, I think what's really hard when you're an entrepreneur is that you are 
your true metric that you only you can really move the needle on is is increasing revenue. So you you can oftentimes think that one hour away from the business is going to cost me X amount. Um, and I didn't realize that I would slip into that sometimes. So it is, it's definitely a lot harder. I would say, um, I think, I think what a lot of entrepreneurs can get caught up in is what are other entrepreneurs doing and how do they live their lives and what does success look like for their businesses. And I think I'm hoping that, um, you know, what I can continue to do for myself is thinking about what is that type of lifestyle? What was that expectation that I had being an entrepreneur and how do I get closer to that? Um, so for me, it's, it's the, it's a freedom. It's a flexibility. I can't sit still from nine to six at one desk. And so from that angle, it has been what I've expected so far. I can kind of, you know, make my schedule the way that I want to. Um, what I didn't expect is how many decisions I have to make in any given day, even if I have delegated. Right. And so I think, um, I think it's a lot of, it's a lot harder. Um, but I think, even though it's hard, I would say it doesn't feel hard all the time because you enjoy it in a way that you don't enjoy your day job, or at least if you're entrepreneurially wired, you tend to. Yeah, enjoy which more. is which is so true. Like you spend so many hours and so much, yeah, just so much time on it, but you do enjoy it. And there's obviously aspects aspects you won't enjoy as much, but because you do enjoy it, it kind of changes the whole thing. Yeah. And then, and then yeah. one of the final things I just want to ask then is there. Any other advice, comments, things you want to say to aspiring entrepreneurs? Yeah, I think um, don't let fear hold you back. I think it's really easy to get caught up in wanting to be perfect right off the gate. There's a million things that you could do better about your business. But the beauty of starting small and starting in general is that action is the only thing that overcomes fear. And one baby step is better than no step at all. So don't let that fear of perfection paralyze you um, in taking that next step day to day. Awesome. And Mayha, where can people go to learn more about what you're doing and connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can uh, learn more about Silk and Sonder by visiting our website, www.silkandsonder.com or follow us on Instagram at Silk and Sonder. Uh, if you want to connect with me directly, of course, you can just follow me on Instagram as well. I'm at Mayha Averwald. Um, and I almost always check my DMs, even if you're hanging out in the request section. <laughs> awesome. Meha, I, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hello, fun. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. Fight on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.